Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstead, here with co-host, Keith Myers. Keith, talk to me. What's going on? Um, it... This is probably the busiest time of year for um, for for me, and um, I am happy, very happy, to take a break from it all to be here to uh, talk some Seahawks football with you. Because nice, I need a break. <laughs> oh well, like what's going on? So uh, you you shared uh, a couple weeks ago that you were um, you and your wife were opening a veterinary clinic how's that going what's the status of that how's school going what's the status of that like when does life actually become normal or is this the new normal um so this is kind of the new normal i mean i guess uh the summer is on us upon us as far as school stuff so my kids i won't have to be worrying about homeschooling them uh anymore until the fall and hopefully not in the fall because the schools will actually reopen. Um, but I have one more week of that and the business opens on Monday. So once I get us to with the doors are opening and, and all of that, we are good to go. And um, hopefully things will calm down. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. They probably Just won't, a little bit. but hopefully. <laughs> Maybe we can do, you know, three podcasts a week after that. I would be okay with that. <laughs> We'd have to come up with some content. Um, okay. This, this time of year, it's, uh, that's not easy because <laughs> there's nothing that's going true. on. Uh, there's no signings happening. There's no trades happening. So We've managed for uh, you know three and a half years. So far, so good. Um, this week, we're, it's the second part of a three-part series of shows that we're doing on uh, the 90-man roster and the position group analysis of all the new additions since free agency and the draft and how they integrate with what we currently have. And it kind of gives us an idea of um, our strengths and weaknesses overall. And um, if there's any additional moves that we think that we might need to make um, to shore up any, any certain areas, uh, this uh, last week we did offense. This week we're doing the defensive roster analysis, um, and we start up front with the big boys. Uh, any thoughts heading into um, to this week, Keith, on uh, on where we left the offense, and now we're getting into the defense? Kind of what, what? Where do you see the team right now? Well, I mean, when we left the offense, we were you know pretty enamored with uh, the skill position stuff and what's going on with. Um, you know that, and we knew that the offensive line is having this huge makeover, and we hope that it's better. Um, it shouldn't be worse; it should at least be the same, which is bad. But um, we hope that it's better. And then we look at uh, the defense, and there's a lot of there's a lot of unknowns. At least what I felt is we've got these young players that are coming in, but where do they fit? And can they generate enough pass rush? And, um, you know, it's, it's, there's just a lot of like, how does everything fit together questions? And we'll see how that goes. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. The fit together part. Um, I think you could make an argument if you independently look at each position group. I think you could easily say, you know, the offense looks uh, equal or better, uh, mostly across the board. Now, there's plenty of question marks on that offensive line, as we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. But there's also room for amazing optimism as well that it could actually be better, especially in the second half of the season. And you go to the defensive side, and we'll talk about this today. You could really make the case, maybe except for defensive tackle, that we're better across the board, um, depth-wise, talent-wise, at almost every position. And when you put it all together, maybe it works. Maybe it takes some time to kind of figure it out and mold it together, like like the puzzle uh, that you talked about. Um, but I'm I'm optimistic, and I always am. I'm you know I kind of look at these things with the glass half full. Uh, sort of mentality usually anyway. Um, and we've always, <laughs> we've had a lot of optimism the last 10 years. We just have as a, as a team. Uh, we've done quite well. And I continue to look at this in in that light, in that I, I don't see us being really any worse. And we have the opportunity and potential to be better, I think, across the board overall. So um, let's start with defensive tackle uh, right up front. That's you know, even after all of the roster building that's gone on the last uh, three or four months, Keith, to me, this is the area of the of the greatest concern, even trumping the defensive end position. Um, I think there's a lot of optimism and hope that the defensive end is shored up and looks good. At defensive tackle, I'm not so worried about our starters. Um, we've got the same starters that we had last year, ended last year with and Jaron Reed and Puna Ford. But after that, it gets real sketchy. Um, Jaron Reed last year had the six-game suspension that he served right out of the gate and came back and really wasn't a complete player until late in the season. Um, and that really hurt, I think, the Seahawks, especially at defending the run. Now, he wasn't also able to get to the quarterback and, and, and create pressures and so forth on a consistent basis as he did in 2018. So the Seahawks gave him a two-year contract extension this year in hopes that maybe that um, will be closer to the 2018 Jaron Reed that we saw uh, as opposed to last year. And then Puna Ford, of course. And he, uh, you've really liked Puna Ford straight out of the gate from his undrafted status early on. <clears throat> but my question to you on the Puna Ford and Jerron Reed thing is, is it, is it good enough to be just okay? Jerron Reed and Puna Ford aren't really Pro Bowl caliber guys. No, Jerron Reed may end up getting there if he can put some, a few years of consistency together, especially affecting the pass rush. Um, but Puna Ford, I like him, and he seems okay, but other times the proof is in the, in the stats in that you know, we're, we're poorly ranked run defense. Um, we're not getting to the quarterback. What does he do well? And why should we have confidence in those two of, of do, actually doing the job? Well, the, the, the stat, the, the two that you gave, um, you know, that Puna Ford's not the problem. I mean, he's a nose tackle. He's a guy that his job is to eat two blocks against the run. And he does that very well. Um, and against but, the hold on, hold on. I'm going to stop you right there. Prove it. I mean, you may not have the stats to back that up and prove that right this very second as I'm asking you to. But you can't. You, but the thing the, is, the way that you can prove it is you could tell me that um, 
you could say that Bobby Wagner had a really good year, and because Puna was eating space, taking two defenders, uh, Bobby Wagner was making a lot of plays at the line of scrimmage. Um, he was, uh, and and the and the team itself was a better run defense team than is actually proven out. But Bobby Wagner struggled a little bit in that, and he was making plays all over the place. But they were usually depth plays at linebacker in the second level, and that told me that maybe Puna is not the stout run defender that we think he is. Now it's just well, me go and through just and kind of an observation. If you go, if you actually watch the tape, Puna is not the problem. Uh, he does a great job getting leverage at the point of attack. Um, you know, and that and he he does his job, but he is. Uh, the nose tackle position is one that doesn't generate stats. It's one that it helps other That's people very generate, true, Keith. generate stats. So when you look at at Bobby Wagner and he he's his flowing to the ball and making a play, is he flowing through a defender? Is he is he have to um, take a guard or a, yeah and um, disengage from a guard before he can make a tackle or not? Um, that's that'll tell you if if Puna is doing his job and. What you see is um, Wagner had a lot of like he could just flow to the ball and make a tackle. Now he made the tackle, you know, four yards downfield. Whereas in previous years he was making those same tackles at the line of scrimmage. But that had more to do with the fact that he, the defensive ends were getting just blown up. Uh, well, not um, Clowney when he was in there, but whenever he got he came out, um, the two defensive ends were getting were getting blown up and getting getting pushed back. They were losing containment um, on the outside, so the runs were going out there, and he had a lot further to run. Um, there were a lot of things, but he wasn't fighting through blocks as much as uh, you'd think, seeing how most of his tackles were, you know, not at the line of scrimmage. Um, and that is a way to to look at that and say, okay, well, that is that's that's Puna's job. That's his primary job is to keep that is is to engage the center, put you know, not be moved so that he doesn't a hole isn't generated, but also to when that double team comes from that guard, to be a big enough presence that the guard can't, you know, do a combo block and block him initially and then release it up and hit Bobby. Um and the fact that they're not doing that, they're not getting up and putting a body on Bobby Wagner, um tells you that Puna Ford's doing his job. Now, they didn't get they they didn't get a lot of help at all from uh defensive ends not named um Clowney last year and honestly Jerron Reed had a pretty bad year. Um he just was completely ineffective when he came back from his suspension. He got a little better later um but he wasn't he was not a difference maker. He was not an impact player. And uh, so Woods, I'm Woods was in there, um, as well in a rotation and actually was one of the, probably the most effective guy I thought. Now Puna was steady. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, Woods was, was pretty decent and I think we'll miss him a little bit and we haven't yet replaced him near as I can tell. No. And that's, that's why we started with the defensive tackles because, um, you expect, Reed to bounce back. He missed those six games. He never really got back into everything. Um, so you expect him to be bounced back and, and be better. Puna is still Puna, but the drop off comes after that because you lose your third best defensive tackle and arguably your second best defensive tackle. Because I would have put uh, Al Woods above uh, Jerron Reed last year as far as overall like play. 
Um, Agreed. And where, where was, where's the replacement where, you know, cause there's a, that's a drop off right there. And so now you're asking a guy like Brian Monet, who's a 360 pound, um, <laughs> nose tackle to, it's to crazy, do that. Dude. He's or, the heaviest defensive tackle in the league at 366. Or you were you're being asking, a little generous at 360. Yeah. Or you're asking, you know, Demarcus Christmas, who missed all all of his rookie year last year um, on injured reserve, and he's undersized. He's thought of as a you know a, a guy that's going to rush the passer and not not a guy that's going to be versed. So, out what do Brian run, Monet so. and Demarcus Christmas have in common? They're cheap. Yes, they're cheap, <laughs> and they're also some of the most unathletic defensive tackles in the entire NFL. Yeah. Um, Brian Monet is huge, has an 80-inch wingspan, and that's really all he's got going for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a 26-inch vertical and an 8-foot broad jump, which is horrible for anybody, for- especially when Brian Monet came out. He was 6'3 and, and uh, 335, so he's put on about 30 pounds since he came into the NFL in two, at the beginning of 2019. Um, and then DeMarcus Christmas ran a, a 5.040. That's his best attribute at 308 pounds, 6'4", 308. But he had a 5.07 short shuttle and an 8.133 cone and a 25-inch vertical. I mean, I guess my question is... Yeah, what those are, we are not do- athletic numbers. No, what are we doing like, what are the Seahawks doing there at defensive tackle when they've gone against pretty much their entire 10-year history trend of drafting guys that uh, are at least have some athletic upside? These guys have nothing, literally can't move outside of a, a, a phone booth box um, to play defensive tackle for the Seahawks. And then behind those guys... We have a couple of undrafted rookie free agents have come in that really don't offer you much more. Josh Avery is 6'3", 318. Um, he's got a little bit more athletic upside, but completely unproven and very inconsistent in college. And then you've got Cedric Lattimore, who maybe gives you just a hair bit more upside, but again, uh, is is just a guy at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you mentioned Brian Monet, um, and I... He did show a little bit last year of, of the ability to just take on the double teams, mm-hmm. but really nothing more than that. And I'm worried about this position. This is the only position group I think on the team that I could say that, that I'm literally just worried about the fact that they're you know, in the middle of June now and haven't done a darn thing to really address this. Well, I think there's a couple different parts to it. One is that they're, they are expecting – um, LJ Collier and um, Rasheem Green, who are five tech defensive ends, to get considerable playing time at the three tech defensive tackle spot. Um, so they're going to be, you know, they're the they're the big tight end on uh, on the strong side, and they're going to slide inside uh, and get a bunch of reps there. Um, and and they're not going to be that stout against the run on the inside because they're not used to holding up against double teams. They're used to being, um, you know, outside on a, on a offensive tackle, but uh, in terms of a pass rush, they're expecting to get a better push out of the, by, by moving those guys in. So that's part of it. And that, you know, when, when you start looking at rotations, um, the hope is that those two guys are going to be able to keep Ford and Reed 
uh, fresher. And so they don't have a, um, you know, where you're expecting these guys to play like 90% of the snaps and then they're just dead by the end of, uh, by the end of every game. Um, so, so that'll be part of it. And I think the other part of it is just that they know that you can get vet defensive tackles late that can come in and do what Al Woods did last year. I mean, uh, Tony McDaniel a few years ago was fishing up um, in North Bend halfway through training camp. And when the Seahawks called him and, and brought him in and he, you know, played significant minutes and, and um, did a, you know, did a fantastic job. So there are always these vet defensive tackles that end up, on the street because of salary cap concerns or whatnot. Al Woods is an example from last year. Um, and I think they're just waiting it out. They're like, someone will become available. And when they do, we'll pick them up. Okay. I'm holding you to your word, man. <laughs> I would <laughs> like to see at least one more guy come in. Um, because I agree. I, you just don't know what you've got with Demarcus Christmas. Maybe he spent all off season becoming a completely different, better player. We didn't really get a chance to see him last year. He had the injury. Maybe Christmas comes in and gives you a little something. Brian Monet, we kind of know is just a very big space eater guy and doesn't offer you really anything else. It'd be nice to get a little bit more of an athletic upside guy in there. Um, just to kind of complete that defensive front seven um, area, um, Rashim, let's let's go to defensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the guys that we have had first, and then we'll move on to all of the additions. And there are several because this was the position probably most at need uh, of revamping coming into the off season. Rasheem Green, though, had a pretty decent second-year campaign last year, became a little bit more steady uh, than his first year. Um, 6'4", 279, does that five-tech position. You mentioned him being able to slide inside on passing downs into the three-tech. I assume then that a guy like uh, Bruce Irvin or uh, one of the rookies would would be able to come in and affect the pass rush at that five tech spot at that Mm -hmm. point. Um, Let's talk about Rasheem green a little bit. What are your expectations there? And then let's talk about his backup currently on the roster, LJ Collier. Well, I expect green to kind of have a breakout year this year. He, um, he looked extremely promising in his rookie campaign in the preseason. He was dominating, um, not in against starters during the first half, but in, you know, against backups during in the second half and whatever, but he just dominated. He was, you know, at times like the best player on the field um, in those games. And, but a lot of it was, he's just bigger, stronger, and more athletic than the other guys that are around him. And when it actually came time during the season, um, his lack of technique and the fact that he'd won just with, with athleticism in the past, um, started to show and then he got hurt and he missed a bunch of time and he never, which prevented him from continuing to develop and all of that. So um, his rookie year kind of was a little bit lost. I mean, he learned some stuff, but he didn't really contribute that much last year. You know, he was uh, the primary backup to uh, Clowney and uh, that's not a bad position to be in because Clowney is one of the best in the league. And, you know, he got a chance to learn and, and, and get better and, and uh, learn some of the, the technique stuff that he didn't have before. And by the end of last year, he was actually 
being an impactful player uh, when he was on the field. And, and that was a great sign. And so now he goes in this year as uh, the presumed starter because Clowney's, at least as of right now, not in the fold. And so now you're, that's a big that's a big ask of a guy that's that's never been a starter in this league. And so you're asking him to come in and be the starter on at the five tech and, you know, play those that, you know, a large role. I Like I said, I expect him to have a breakout year. I don't think he's going to remind anyone of Jadavian Clowney, but I do think he's going to be good and, yes. you know, productive. And uh, I think, you know, they're they're in pretty good shape there. Uh, with Collier, you've got a, a different kind of player at the same position. Uh, you've got a guy who is a little less athletic, but stronger, especially in the lower body. He wins with a bull rush and, and power. Um, and, you know, he's supposed to be a great edge defender for against the run in college. We didn't really see that when he got on the field last year. He um, also dealt with an injury all through training camp and, and didn't really get a chance to get on the field much until mid season. And he just never really showed us anything like it's hard to get excited about him right now. Um, even though he was a first round pick uh, just a year ago, but at some point, you know, he is either going to step up and show why the team thought of him that highly, or he's going to wash out. And so he, there's a lot of pressure on him this year to come in and be uh, what Rasheem Green was last year. That's the backup at I the agree. five tech and uh, really just kind of own that spot and prove that he belongs on the roster and that he can uh, impact a game when he's, you know, you're only playing 30% of the snaps. The the third guy in that role is Brandon Jackson. Um He's he's been just serviceable. I mean, really, just kind of a body out there uh, mm-hmm. so far in his career. Six four two ninety five. Another guy that can slide inside on passing downs if they need. They'd rather probably not have him on the roster, um, and we'll see uh, how that goes. But right now, the third five uh, tech on the roster, uh, Benson Mayoa, comes in um, last couple seasons. Uh, has 16 tackles for loss, 41 solo tackles, 11 sacks, four forced fumbles. And that's only taken an average of about 30% of the defensive snaps in the last couple of years. In addition to that, he's got 18 quarterback hurries, 10 quarterback hits, a 12.4 uh, pressure rate percentage, ranked 20th in the NFL. Uh, Benson Mayoa actually gives you a little bit of upside in his eighth season out of Idaho. Originally, uh, a uh, uh, camp invite for the Seattle Seahawks way back in the day. Comes back around a second time on the team. Um, I like this signing, actually, as a, as a really decent value signing. He's not meant to be the guy, uh, but comes in possibly looking at being the, um, the, the starter at Leo if... Uh, um, top round draft pick, not first round, but second round draft pick, Daryl Taylor doesn't come in and take that job right away. Yeah. I mean, Mayo is a guy that I don't want him to be the starter because I want Taylor to come in and win that job and earn it. And cause he's got a much higher upside and he's younger and all of that. But, uh, I, trust Mayo to get to the quarterback occasionally. Even if he doesn't get home and get the sack, he's going to put on pressure. He's going to make them move their feet. He's going to 
um, you know, speed up their process and, and get the ball out of the quarterback's hand. Uh, he's a guy that wins with quickness and he wins by getting around the edge. Um, and he can do that. He can do that. Well, he is great. And in a limited role, because if you're, but if you're asking him to do that, you know, on twice as many, uh, plays per game as he has been, I'm not sure that's a recipe for him to maintain that, uh, pressure percentage, but, you know, to have a guy that, you know, can do it and just to be steady and not depend on the two rookies to somehow be all of your, your pass rush on that side is like, it's just nice to have. And I, I like that signing. I, at, well, when it first happened, I was like, oh, I don't know, he's not that good. And then I went back and, and, and looked a little bit better at his, uh, things like his pressure percentage, and he's getting to the quarterback more often uh, the last couple of years than I ever gave him credit for. Um, I mean, last year he had a good year. The year before he had like was it like four and a half sacks, and you're like, yeah, okay, that's more Benson Mayo. Um, but it's it's the rate at which he gets pressure uh, that's impressive, and I think that uh having him and having a guy a veteran that you can count on to come in get pressure on third and long uh that's going to be useful it's just it's it's a nice addition to the team well it's definitely a hedge against the rookie you know daryl taylor mm-hmm. has has the pedigree in the draft uh, and uh you're expecting big things from him but it's his first year uh, a guy like benson mayo has got all that crafty veteran savvy going for him in addition to just skill and uh, Daryl Taylor uh, needs to be able to pick that up, pick it up fairly quickly to have an immediate impact on the defensive line. But uh, we're expecting big things from Daryl Taylor. Um, I'm sure he's expecting big things for himself, but this is an unusual off season. It's just come out. I think that the players are not going to be able to interact with the team at club facilities until camp begins in late July. And, that means he's not going to get any reps until training camp. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a big thing for rookies, especially guys that are supposed to come in and, you know, eventually start for you. Um, what do you think about that? And talk about Alton Robinson a little bit. Well, that's yeah. I mean, from what you were saying, like that's, that's part of the reason why it's nice to have Benson Mayo here because it's going to take not just training camp, but probably the first four weeks of, of uh, the season and, and all of that practice time and then you know even some game reps f- to get a guy like Darrell Taylor fully up to speed. Um, and when you've got a guy like Mayoa there ready, who's a vet, you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. That that makes life um, easier on you. Uh, it allows you to slow play Taylor a little bit and and not rush him and think like have him think that he's got to be a hundred percent on on day one because he doesn't. I agree. Um, the other side of it is that is the guy that you you mentioned right at the end, uh, Alton Robinson. This is a guy with, uh, this is a guy with uh, Daryl Taylor talent, but some off field you know issues and, and that kind of stuff. And so he fell all the way to the fifth round. Yeah, Alton and, Robinson's got a lightning quick first step. It's yes. going to remind you of uh, Bennett a little bit Michael, in that respect. Mm-hmm. Very much. And because that's that was how Michael Bennett won. If you look at back um, when he came to Seattle as an undrafted free agent, he was a defensive end, and the Seahawks moved him into defensive tackle. And just because they're like his his quickness will allow him to win against guards and centers, and it did. 
And after like two weeks in, into the year, for some reason, they cut him, you know, to make room for someone else. Right. Um, and he went on to be a good pass rusher for someone else before coming back. Um, and that, it's unfortunate, right? Because that's what you don't, you should never let those guys go. Um, and Robinson's first step is, it's just, it's pretty. Um, he gets into the gap um, between like between the guard and the center or between the, the guard and the tackle, he gets into the gap usually before the, um, the offensive lineman can get their, their hand foot off back. The ground. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, their hands off the ground, but they're not fully, they don't have their weight back, um, onto their, um, on, you know, again, and get their foot back behind them. And he's already there pushing, you know, between them. It's, it, it's going to be really hard to block him. Um, he's just got to get on the field and stay on the field. And true, I'm excited. I'm excited to see him. I think he's going to be a, a, a big impact player. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at like Frank Clark was a guy with like top 10 uh, skill, potential, everything dropped into the, you know, the sixties uh, in the second round be- to, to Seattle. Uh, because of off-field issues, but they got a great player if you could put up with the off-field stuff. Um, and Robinson is kind of the same. He's got it's 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 locker room stuff. It's off-field stuff. It's not it's not between the sidelines. Um, on the field, he's a very good player. It's just the other stuff that you're that cost him to drop. Yeah, in the he draft. was. He's he's ranked in a lot of different. When you go back and look at the draft boards and stuff. Alton Robinson and Daryl Taylor were very close mm-hmm. as far as, you know, right there uh, together um, as far as draft talent. Um, I left um, Irvin off of this list and put him with the linebackers, and we'll talk about him in just a second. Uh, Mar- Marcus Webb and Eli uh, Menser are another couple guys in the undrafted ranks that have come in uh, to compete. Uh, both offer limited upside. I think Eli Menser's 225 pounds at 6'1". Uh, he's got a nice uh, uh, 40 at 5, or excuse me, 4'5'4", four, four, uh, which gives uh, gives him a little uh, quickness at that position. But it's going to be an uphill battle for a guy like that. Marcus Webb's got seven sacks in 2019, but plays for Troy. Um, so not a big school. <laughs> And, uh, but he does come in at, uh, like I've got two different sizes for him and I don't know which is right. One, six, two, two forty seven. The other one, six, three, two seventy nine. big, huge difference there. I don't know where the discrepancy is. So, um, <laughs> the book's still out on Marcus Webb, mm-hmm. um, moving to the linebackers. Um, I'm excited for this group. And, and the reason I kind of got in that little scuffle with you early on about the blocking and the, the eating of space mm-hmm. with, um, with Puna and then Bobby Wagner not being able to kind of be the linebackers. I thought there was some truth to that, that the, that the, the space eating overall on the defensive line, and, and maybe it was confined to the defensive ends. I don't know, Keith. Well, but defensive I thought, ends and, and the three tech spot. Okay. I mean, there, there were, there were problems all around. I just thought um, the linebackers were working a little bit harder last year in general, I thought they they had great seasons. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright had a, a great season as well for him. Uh, but this year's uh, has uh, it looks to be a transition year. 
Um, and it'll be in- an interesting conversation here uh, as we look at the, the top four or five guys at the, in this group and, and what their roles ultimately will be. We know what Barbie, Bobby Wagner is going to be. He's an all-pro. But he is coming into his ninth season, Bobby Wagner. Crazy. KJ Wright, uh, that's the question mark uh, right now for me a little bit. Uh, coming off a little shoulder surgery in the offseason, kind of bounced back in 2019 from a couple of years uh, in 2017 and 18 that were looked to be uh, declining, mostly because of a knee, not because you know his skills had diminished. Um, bounced back a little bit, and so we'll see where KJ Wright is and what the team feels about KJ Wright because they drafted Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks played middle linebacker in college, but he's really a better fit at the will spot. Mm-hmm. In addition to Jordan Brooks, they had Cody Barton, who's also a better will than a strong side linebacker or a middle linebacker. And then they've got Bruce Irvin, who we mentioned previously, a guy that comes in strict, strictly to play strong side linebacker in the first couple of downs uh, early downs and then shift to that where that five technique moves inside to the three tech that Bruce Irvin guy would come up and play that um, that strong side uh, defensive end role there so I just want your thoughts overall on the on the upside of the linebacker group how this all washes out and of course next week we're going to do our 53 man roster prediction show and maybe we'll get into kind of who starts and what roles uh um, key contr- contributors would have, but how do you see this group kind of washing out, and um, where do you where do you see things play out? Well, you've got you've got and you talked about it. You've got five guys for three spots. Um, you know, Wagner's the all pro in the middle, uh, and Brooks played middle linebacker his final year in college, but the previous three he was an outside linebacker. He moved in because they. We're just desperate. Um, and But he's a, he's a much better fit as an outside guy. Uh, Barton played middle linebacker in college. I think he fits better at the will. Uh, he thinks he could be uh, Bobby Wagner once Bobby Wagner retires. Um, of course, I think any middle linebacker would say that, but nobody lives up to Bobby Wagner. <laughs> um, but, you know, Cody Barton played out of position at the strong side at the end of last year and did okay. Um, well, he was learning the position, but really, I mean, when it comes to the strong side uh, linebacker spot, it it's Bruce Irvin is is there. Jordan Brooks can play it, and uh, I don't see much else as options. Um, and you know, that's what we're going to see. But you've got those five guys are all starter potential, starter caliber uh, linebackers, and there's three spots, so there's a lot to. Uh, unpack in there. And one of the things you and I keep talking about is if KJ Wright, if his shoulder and knee and whatever don't prove to be healthy, you know, he's got a really big cap number for a, he does for a linebacker, uh, especially when you've got Brooks and Barton, there just dying for snaps and and an opportunity. And Um, you've got potentially a couple of unsigned guys that you could add to the defense to kind of, make a run if you're gonna if you're gonna make a run at the super bowl you might need a couple of guys Mm -hmm. another defensive end and another defensive tackle and that cap number sitting there and it's um it's sure inviting to be able to use that money to distribute into other places of need 
hate to say that. I mean, KJ Wright's an awesome player, awesome guy. Um, has been a has been there uh, mm-hmm. throughout the entire golden years of, of Seahawk football, and so you just don't want to <laughs> cast aside somebody like that so easily. And Cavalier is kind of what what we're saying, but at the same time, uh, you know, he plays a in a key spot on this defense and you want the best player on the field and the Seahawks have always prided themselves on competition and making sure the best players are out on the field. And if that's not KJ Wright this year, do you keep him on the team uh, and not play him? I don't think you can because you, what you, what you really don't want is a guy like that being disgruntled and, um, you know, saying things in uh, the locker room or just being frustrated because it, it just brings the team down because um, he's a leader and he either he has to basically say, hey, this I know this is where I'm at and I want to be here. I will be OK being a backup. Um, he's got to come out and say that and um, he'll probably have to take a pay cut to stay on the team if he doesn't win the starting job because you're not going to pay him, you know, over $10 million to sit on the sidelines uh, and watch someone else play. So if he, if he takes a pay cut, um, let's say he take, turns his ten and a half million dollar cap number into like five or five and a half. Yeah. You keep him, you, you start, um, you know, either Cody Barton or Jordan Brooks in that spot. And you, you, you keep, the the veteran the leader and and that around but if he doesn't want to take the pay cut if he thinks he should be out there playing um and isn't content on a reduced role then nah you can't you 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 can't it's 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 not this isn't um madden where you just load up your roster with every guy (laughs) this is a um you, you have to you have to look at it and and treat players with respect and dignity and and if you're asking this guy that's been just a warrior and a soldier for the Seahawks for uh, 10 years now to suddenly sit be on the sidelines and watch, um, you're, you're not doing right by the guy. And um, they'll be, they would be better off letting him go find somewhere else to play. Um, better it would be better for him and be better for for the team uh, all around. So uh, I don't see there being any like chance that uh, he either is the starter or I think he is gone. Well, I mean, okay. So if he's there and he's starting, what do you do with Jordan Brooks? I think you find a way to. <clears throat> Uh, let Bruce Irvin play end more and rush the passer more, and you get Brooks uh, more snaps at uh, at the Sam linebacker spot, uh, and you or you get him some snaps at middle linebacker and let him, you know, give Bobby Wagner a uh, a break uh, in you know early in the second quarter and early in the fourth quarter uh, so that he can take one series off and, and be a little fresher at the end of games type of thing. Uh, you got, you got to get him on the field. You can't just leave him sitting on the sidelines and doing special teams and not give him any reps and not let that development happen uh, during this year. You've got to get him on the field at least some. Yeah. I, for one, I'm probably expecting Jordan Brooks to start, but it's hard knowing 
based on the fact that we haven't had any mini camps. He's not going to see the field until training camp. Uh, who knows what the pecking order will be first day of training camp. He may have to earn a spot and that takes time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, depending on how the, the they're talking about maybe taking away a couple of preseason games. Um, so that would possibly give him a little extra time to, to be able to practice and, and uh, jump ahead of somebody. But it's it's kind of crazy. I, I love the fact that we've got five guys. I mean, that's a that's a really good problem to have. And we're going to end up with a really decent linebacker core this year, no matter how it washes out. Uh, Bruce Irvin is the guy that we talked about before strong side linebacker. He's reiterated the fact that, that he wants to do that. I believe that the team is expecting him to take on that role as well on the first couple of downs and then move up onto the line of scrimmage in the five or seven tech. Um, and we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but depending on the KJ Wright thing, they may want to take some of those snaps and give them to Brooks. As you mentioned, Cody Barton mm-hmm. is there as well. Uh, as this plays out right now, Cody Barton is the fifth linebacker in that group and, and likely to not see any playing time whatsoever unless there's an injury at this point. Which is crazy. He was a guy that we talked about at the, at the end of the season being a guy that we possibly thought had earned, or at least earned the right to compete for a starting spot this year. Yeah. I mean, he was a guy that, um, was he he was he was they a soldier moved up in the draft to get him didn't they yeah and and they went and got him and then there wasn't a spot for him but he backed up all three positions uh then he came in and took over at the strong side linebacker which is of the three the one that he's least suited for um and played admirably there took him a little bit of adjustment before he was uh you know, where he would have been happy with his play because there were some mistakes and whatever, but he's a rookie learning a new position. Um, and, but by the end, he was playing pretty well. And the idea that, okay, he might get to go back to his natural position at the will or at least continue to develop at the Sam, you've got, uh, there's, there's a lot to like. He's got a lot of speed, which yes. the team needs. Um, but then they went and they signed Bruce Irvin to to take care of the Sam issue. And then they drafted Jordan Brooks uh, with the first pick. So you've got two new uh, variables into that equation. I still think Cody Barton has everything that you're looking for to be a starting linebacker. Um, but there's no denying that Jordan Brooks and Bruce Irvin also, uh, both also bring that team speed up just by being there and being on the field. So uh, it is going to be interesting with five guys. You've got to get you got to get the young players on the field a little bit so they can continue to improve. Yeah, I mean, you could end up starting the season with Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, and Bruce Irvin as your linebackers, guys that have been in the league for a minimum of eight seasons. Uh, it's just nuts. Um, and then you've got the two young guys and Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton that deserve to be there. And then you've got some, some other guys on the roster as well. Uh, Shaquem, uh, Shaquem Griffin, uh, undersized guy, but a lot of speed. We all know his story, um, hasn't really earned the right to play a significant, um, rotation, uh, minutes 
at linebacker, um, although he did come up and give them some specialty rushes and so forth off the edge last year. Um, he played about what, 10 snaps a game at mm-hmm. uh, edge rusher. And then Ben Burkirvan, which looks like probably the odd man out at this point. Um, a special teams guy is really his his ticket. Uh, same with Griffin. You know, those are two guys that are right on the edge of that roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Emmanuel Ellerby, um, 6'1", 235 linebackers, hung around the team for a couple of years on on the uh, practice squad. And Sutton Smith as well, 6'2", 235. Not expecting those guys to make the roster as loaded as it is now. Um, any thoughts on, on that group? Yeah, I would say with Irvin, we put him as a linebacker because he's probably going to start there, but he fits into the defensive end rotation. And uh, Griffin's the same way. He's not, he, he's listed as a linebacker. If he's going to make uh, a major impact on the defense, it's going to be because somehow he managed to get on the field as a linebacker. But I think what gets him on the team is the fact that he's really good on special teams. And uh, last year when they were desperate for pass rush, they they looked to him and he showed that he could, he could do it. He could create pass rush where other people couldn't. And that's a good sign for him. Yeah. I mean, you stick him out at the nine tech way out um, outside the tight end and have him use his speed to get outside. The problem with uh, Griffin, and it will always be a problem, is he's undersized. He can get blown out. Tight ends can block him out. Tackles can block him out. Pretty much anybody, you know, a running back can come come out and, and get him a little bit, clip him, and cut down that speed a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, let's talk safety. Let's, uh, let's split this up into a couple of different categories, free safety and strong safety. Uh, the free safety group is um, is in a little better position depth wise than the strong safety spot. We'll just talk about that because there's a couple guys that can kind of play both. Um, Bradley McDougal is the starting free safety right now for this team. Uh, Marquise Blair is sitting there waiting, possibly earning an opportunity to compete for that starting role. We'll see how it goes in camp. Hugo Amadi is sitting there. Uh, mostly plays a slot uh, kind of cover guy. We'll see if uh, there's any free safety spots for him. And then a couple of undrafted guys in Chris Miller and Josh Norwood are on the team to compete as well. How do you look at the free safety position group? Well, I mean, honestly, if I'm looking at this, you you know who your starter is, right? It's it's Diggs. Um, and well, that's the at strong safety. Quandre Diggs is the free safety. Okay. Oh, they they have they have him on the roster at strong safety. Well, whatever. Uh, on he's, on he's .com. A, okay. He's a he's a free safety. He's a center fielder. Um, and you know he's the starter. He is the guy um, at that spot. But then you've got Blair and McDougald who both fit in both the strong safety and free safety uh, depth chart because both of them are can play both positions. Um, and with those guys, you've got probably your top three safeties. Um, True. One, one, you know, one starter at each position and the backup at both of them. And then after that, I mean, yeah, Amadi's going to gonna be more of a cornerback than a safety, but he's there as a guy that can play safety in a pinch if someone gets hurt. 
Um, and then a bunch of guys that honestly, like they need, they have to show that they have to give us something to show us why they deserve a spot on the roster. Because when you're as loaded at the top, uh, at three and a half positions there, you don't really need much else. And so someone's got to have to be like, no, this is why I deserve to be here. Yeah. Um, well, I think I, it's going to come down to Amadi or, or Hill. I mean, uh, Leno Hill's still there. Um, but with Blair there and Bradley McDougal there as well, uh, I, I'm not sure what role Hill plays in this defense. No. Hill is in the final year of his rookie uh, deal. He's shown that he can play when he gets out on the field, um, but he can't stay healthy. He's the uh, defensive version of CJ Procise, and um, which is too bad because I, I like Lano Hill. Um, and, but yeah, the guy just cannot stay healthy. And at this point, you know, when you've got guys like um, Josh Norwood and, and Chris Miller who are uh, on here competing for, uh, snaps they have more team control and uh a cheaper price tag like hill's gonna have to sh- hill's gonna have to make a statement to say that that he's worth keeping around because you're look talking about guys that better make a huge impact on special teams um and they better be cheap because <laughs> they're not going to see the field on, on defense unless there's a lot of injuries and a lot of problems. So I think there's an opening um, that, that Marquise Blair could take this year. Uh, Bradley McDougald is a, is a rock. He's kind of the glue back there mm-hmm. um, for that group. But I know that his play is steady, but I think there's an opportunity there for a, a more dynamic player, a playmaker. And Marquise Blair is a playmaker. Uh, not only that is he's a, a big hitter, He's a guy that can set a, a, he's a tone setter. The Seahawks lack that. And I think the, uh, the, the defense needs that from a, a player or two. Now, Quandre Diggs gives you that a little bit on the very back end, but Marquis Blair could give you that closer to the line of scrimmage. Bradley McDougal is a sure tackler, but he's not a knockout punch. And Blair could be that guy. Mm-hmm. And you combine that with Jordan Brooks and his hitting power on the, in the, in the middle Teams will think twice about coming over the middle on the Seahawks if those guys are on the field. True, but um, the other th- thing about McDougal is I don't think that it is, um, well, Blair beat him out, so they're going to like let him go because he can back up both spots. He can play free safety and strong safety. He is extremely versatile And he's not that player. expensive. No, he's not. It's like $2.5 million, um, which is cheap for you know a guy with his experience and ability so i just i have a hard time looking at this and thinking that those top three guys are going to get all the playing time and if they you know uh if you count amadi as a safety in order to keep an extra corner um okay but he's going to play corner um and then after that it's like you're picking someone for special teams ability because you don't expect them to get on the field. So if we look at cornerback, Keith, we've got a pretty long list. I mean, there's 11 corners on the roster right now of which they'll keep five typically. Mm -hmm. And so let's just go through them. Do you keep, and do you count Amadi as one of those five? 
I I'm looking at Amadi as as like the the fifth safety um, and a special teams guy, and so we'll see how we'll see next week when we put our rosters together. We'll see where we need to put him, but I think Amadi definitely is on the roster. It's just you know logistically where do you where do you fit him in? Um, cornerback. The big question mark I guess right now is with Quentin Dunbar, who we acquired from Washington um, in free agency. Or in a in a trade, excuse me, and um, you know he's got some legal things going on, but uh, it, it looks as though those w- will pass at least at this point. So I'm looking at him as being part of this roster. Um, he is going to be one of the two starting corners at at this point, um, but Trey Flowers is not yet, you know written the chapter um, and, and we shouldn't write him off completely out of this equation. So we'll see how Trey Flowers fits into this, but Quentin Dunbar, 6'2", 202 pounds coming into his fifth year. Uh, Pro football focus had him ranked second overall as a cornerback in, in pass coverage last year. Um, you combine that with, with Quill, Quill Griffin, who's coming into his fourth year um, as uh, Seattle's top corner uh, pro bowler. And that's a really nice dynamic duo right there um, that really, I think, improves the back end of that defense to the point where you add um, you add that to our safety group um, and you get a guy like Quandre Diggs playing an entire season, not just five games, uh, but an entire season uh, on the defense. I think that really helps the, um, the, the front end of the defense. So... What I mean by that is you increase the coverages um, and, and the ability to cover guys, and that's going to help guys get to the quarterback because you're going you're, you're gonna to have the quarterback taking a little extra time. So, um, And then you've got Trey Flowers, uh, Nico Thorpe they brought back on a one-year deal. Uh, they got a guy, um, Lyndon Stevens, uh, Ryan Neal, Brian Allen. Those guys have been around the practice squad a little bit. Uh, an interesting name, Keith, that I wanted to spend just a, a minute talking about is Jason Stanley, a guy that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, he was a college wide receiver at Georgia, went to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, Atlanta decided that he was going to be a cornerback. And so they switched him from wide receiver where he was at Georgia, asked him to play corner. He's 6'2, 207. 33-inch arms, has a 35-inch vertical, 80-inch wingspan, which is crazy. Ran a 4-3-7-40. He's a gunner on special teams as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seattle claims Stanley off waivers from Jacksonville. And uh, the crazy thing was he was, he, was a, he was a wide receiver and hadn't played defensive back since Pop Warner. So he's only really had an opportunity to play corner for a, a, a like a 18 months at this point, two years. Um, so that's an interesting name to watch. And then we've got Physi- some guys at the th- end of the roster. Physically, he's like pretty stereotypical for uh, a Seattle corner. I mean, he is, uh, they need to teach him technique and, and all of those things. But honestly, there isn't a better team as far as developing cornerbacks uh, in the league right now than Seattle uh, and their history. Uh, since Pete Carroll joined the team. So uh, that that's a great fit. And then you add in the fact that you're talking about, you know, you've got your top three guys, and then you fit Amadi in there as the yes. 
presumed, um, you know, slot uh, corner as well. So that gives you your top four. Nico, Nico Thorpe is a special teams captain that they felt they needed to bring back. Um, is the number five. So the sixth guy is a guy that better be able to contribute on special teams as well as provide upside that's worth keeping around for um, mm-hmm. as far as developing it. And honestly, you look at the other guys that, that are the options and do any of them give you the upside of Stanley? I don't think they do. No. And no. the fact Plus, that he's already uh, Jason a gunner. Jason Stanley's already, well, and he's hung around. He's hung around enough in the NFL that where he's he's got some value. You know, whether it's been on a practice squad or not. Um, and the fact that he is a gunner, like you said, is a huge contributing factor as to how he makes the roster. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe he makes it over Nico Thorpe. Who knows? Um, but I don't think that Nico Thorpe necessarily needs to lose his job for Jason Stanley to, to make the roster. Like you said, you kind of lined it out. You move uh, Amadi over into that slot corner spot, but you keep him listed as a safety. In mm-hmm. name only, basically, and um, there's a there's a roster spot possibly for that guy, and that's why I wanted to mention him more than some of the other guys. Yeah, and I and it that that it Stanley is a really really nice special teams player. Nico Thorpe is one of the best special teams players in the NFL uh, as being a gunner and a tackler and all that, but he's also older, which makes him more expensive. He doesn't offer much um, as a cornerback, and it doesn't look like, I mean, it's not like he's going to suddenly become uh, good in that role now. He's been in the league for a while, um, where Stanley might. And so I, I don't think Nico Thorpe has to lose his job for Stanley to make it, as you said. But I looked at this as being like, maybe Stanley makes the roster, and then next year is the Nico Thorpe on the roster. Right, you know that that fifth cornerback who's primarily a special teams guy, but unlike Thorpe, offers more uh, upside uh, uh, as a defensive player too, and possibly could give you a hedge against Flowers or or Griffin down the road or Dunbar. You know, Dunbar is only on a one year deal at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we still need to be able to resign that uh, Dunbar and or Griffin uh, or both uh, this off season. So. I agree with you. The other guys, besides uh, Stevens, Neal, and Allen, uh, we picked up some undrafted free agents. Gavin Heslop uh, out of Stony Brook. Uh, Debone uh, Renfro, or Debone Renfro. He's got a little bit of upside to him. Uh, Mm -hmm. 6'2", 198 out of Texas A&M. And then uh, Kimon Siverand, uh, 6'205", out of Oklahoma State. Rounds out that group. Yeah, if any of that don't know group, enough about those undrafted guys, I have no idea. I can't even comment. I was going to say with the undrafted guys, the one guy that I am just very curious about and and hope that we get to see uh, in training camp and and stuff would be Ren uh, Renfro. And it's not like the other. I I don't know enough about the other two. It's just I've seen uh, some tape on Renfro, and I'm like, there's something there. He was he he's not a man cover cornerback. He's not sticky. Um, in coverage, but he is a cover three zone like guy. He's a guy that looks actually pretty good in that role. And I could see him, you know, making a roster, stick around yeah. and doing the, the um, Byron Maxwell thing where, 
you know, you thought of him as a special teamer, but then he got a chance to play and was like surprisingly good. Yeah. Uh, well, he was on uh, several lists of undrafted free agent um, corners, top corners out there available mm-hmm. when the Seahawks uh, signed him. So that that would be interesting. And then uh, special teams wise, kicker is Jason Myers. He's got a contract that really isn't suitable to get rid of. Um, and he, he was inconsistent last year, but he came on at the end and, you know, made, made some big kicks, Michael Dixon at punter and, uh, Tyler Ott at long snapper. There's my, uh, yearly single, uh, mention of Tyler Ott, um, long snapper. If you don't mention him, he's doing a great job. Yeah. And unfortunately a couple of years ago, we talked about the long snapper, uh, position on almost every show during the season. Oh, it was horrible. Un- until they brought Tyler Ott in to fix it. We haven't had to talk about the long snapper since, which is us thanking. We need to thank Tyler Ott for not making us talk about the long long snapper position. All right. So heading into next week, we've got our 53-man uh, roster prediction show. Um, how do you feel overall? We talked about the offense. We talked about the defense. It's a 90-man roster. What, um, just off the top of your head, you know, you don't have to get any, you know, into any specifics, but, um, what are s- some of the position groups you think improved a little bit? What, what is still waiting to improve or has gotten worse? Um, and, and who are s- some of the, like the, your top three additions overall? Well, um, I think they're better at, uh, Positions like wide receiver and tight end, I think, are, are pretty safe to say. Uh, I would include, I mean, I want to include safety, even though there's no new names, but because you're going to get uh, guys like Amadi and Blair uh, in there with not, you know, being rookies. So they will have a chance. Well, and to Taylor's not there. there anymore either. So, yeah. Um, and you know, you get digs for a full year. So those are kind of the ones that I look at and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about. You could also throw in linebackers because Jordan Brooks and Bruce Irwin, um, fit into that. But, uh, for me, like, I mean, obviously I need to see what happens at defensive tackle because we've talked about it at length in this show and in others, like that is a, uh, a concern because they need another vet body that they can count on. And then of course the offensive line, like on paper, it looks better, but there's I think at, a lot at center that and guard. Happen. It looks better. I think at tackle, it looks marginal, maybe even worse. No, there's no way you're worse than Jermaine uh, Fetty. So I don't agree with that. I don't know, um, Keith. I don't. I don't know. I mean, Jermaine Fetty was was, was darn awful. right bad, right? But he was very consistent in the fact that he showed up for work. And he was able Great. to play, and so, so he, Dwayne Brown. Was, hold on, he was very, he was very consistent at being terrible, being the second worst right tackle in the NFL last year, according to, to Pro Football Focus. And the worst one was a guy who was a third stringer forced into play uh, because of injuries to the two guys above him. Uh, well, you can only hope <laughs> that Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell give you as much. Uh, work uh, availability that uh, Fetty had because after Shell and Brown, we have nothing. We have Jamarco Jones. Obviously, he can play when he's healthy. And then we've got Abuahi, Wheeler, and Champion. Dude, I'm sorry. The tackle position is not very good. Yeah, uh, the top end, I think, is better. 
because it's you know Brown's the same except for this year he's not dealing with two major injuries um at least not at the onset of things um and anytime you can get rid of a guy like Effetti and get someone who actually knows what a football looks like uh in there on the other side you're better and the depth is a concern because there's no George Fant on this roster that's ready to you know step in and 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 be a player and start and, and, and get the job done. There's, there isn't that guy unless you think uh, Abu he is. And I am unconvinced. So uh, yeah, the depth is a concern Yeah, if we there. had, a, if we had an injury in camp, you know, knock on wood of one of our tackles, we'd be scrambling as a franchise to get another tackle in. It just wouldn't be like next man up. It would be next man up from another team because yeah, it's that bad. Be, They'd be going and looking, and and that might actually be something that they're still doing. Is they're uh, looking at some certain guys that uh, might be salary cap, you know, casualties or uh, teams that you know drafted a tackle in the first or second round that they haven't uh, cut someone yet that you know they're going to cut someone loose, and so you're you're just kind of waiting, and then they'll they'll move in at that point. I could see them adding a, an offensive tackle and a defensive tackle. Uh, I'm either surprised. between now and now in training camp or during training camp. I'm surprised one of the groups on offense you didn't mention that was somewhat improved was running back. Although you could argue that it's kind of a neutral um, mm-hmm. lateral um, move on the Seahawks to add Hyde, but then not have Penny, and then behind that you've got Homer and then a draft pick. So that that remains to be seen. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, offensively, wide receiver and tight end or, or improved. Um, you could argue too with, uh, Anthony Gordon there at quarterback that you've got a nice little competition with the ability to add maybe Gordon in onto the practice squad and protect him all year, uh, and develop a quarterback for the first time in a long time. Um, that would be an interesting, uh, position group. And then on the defense that we just talked about, I, yeah, the defensive tackle thing is is a concern. I would imagine that gets addressed before the first snap in the first game. So I'm not going to worry about that. And then I think that when you take a look overall and you take Clowney out of the equation, a lot of us have been fretting and worrying about that and the snack, sack rate and the pressure rate and so forth. I think we actually are better overall. It's just spread out amongst four or five guys now, as opposed to only having Clowney last year. We had Clowney plus Green, and behind that, we really didn't have anything. If you add Quentin Jefferson to that, yeah, we had a little mm-hmm. bit, but that's yeah, it. What, you, what you've done is you've replaced um, Quentin Jefferson and uh, Ezekiel Ansa with um, Alton Robinson, Daryl Taylor, Benson Mioa, and um, Bruce, Irvin. Bruce, and half of Bruce Irvin because half the other time he's going to be a linebacker. But um, right, and yeah. and the second year uh, uptick in Collier possibly. Yeah, and so you, what you've done is is you've you've taken, um, you know, Clowney and Jefferson out because we they didn't lose anything by losing Ansa. He made no impact whatsoever. But you take those two guys out, uh, and Ansa, and you add in you know, four new guys and the top end, there's no, there's no clowny in this group. Uh, but there's a much better depth 
because I mean Jefferson Jefferson had a couple of really good games, but he also had four games that I thought were really bad, and then a bunch of games that were okay, right? Um you know, they got nothing out of Ansa. And Clowney was hurt about hurt a lot and didn't play. Right. Or underperformed. Right. Yeah. And so you've got, I mean, all the talent in the world, absolutely. Just dominant like the CX haven't had in a while, um, you know, in that spot. But the rest of the, the rest of the defensive end group was bad. And now there's really good depth here. So I think that you you could say it's improved even without Clowney. I still think it would be nice to bring Clowney back if they can figure out a way to make it work. But uh, yeah. You know, I think that you've improved on the, on the back end at cornerback, you've improved at safety because you're going to get a full year of Quandary Diggs. Plus I think Marquise Blair in his second year is an improvement. I think you're improved at linebacker because just from sheer depth um, at that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could argue at defensive end, you know, you, you blend that in with the defensive tackles overall, uh, the defensive line I think is overall in a better position to give you a more consistent effort, uh, throughout the year. So for me, I think the defense improves a little bit overall. I think the offense is steady. Um, when you add Penny back into the equation in the second half of the year, I think that the entire offense to me is, uh, and you get, uh, the second half of the year improvement on the offensive line, that offense is scary in the second half of the year for me. I don't um, think you need teams. Penny. I don't think you need Penny to even have that because with no, uh, no, no, you know, you, you've got your, your three guys um, there with, you know, already, because I know you aren't high on uh, DJ Dallas, but the team drafted him to be uh, that guy. And I think that he is going to surprise you. And so you've got three, you've got three legit running backs healthy and ready to go week one. And that does not include Penny. So when they get Penny back, it's going to be like, or, or Homer. I mean, you're, you're discounting Homer completely as well as a guy that can come in and give you some third down back reps. Yeah. I, I've discounted Homer because he, while he can give you the third down back reps, he doesn't give you the first and second down ones, True. whereas the other guys can. Um, but yeah, I mean you you've got a you, you've got a, a group that's that's solid without Penny, um, while they wait for Penny to get back from his uh, major knee injury. You don't need him in order for that uh, that offense and that running well, back group to be especially great. with the tight ends and the wide receivers. I mean, it, we're loaded mm-hmm. at those two positions. Yeah, they've done a good job of stocking up talent uh, at the skill positions. They just have. So let's come back next year and put it all together. Or not not next year. Well, next year too. Um, Next week, 53-man roster prediction show. That'll be fun. Mm -hmm. We'll put all this together. We'll come up with our predictions very early in the process, obviously. But fun nonetheless. Um, Until next time, follow Keith on Twitter at MyersNFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all the shows where you can listen and subscribe um, so that you don't miss any of the shows. So and, until next week, Keith, go Hawks. Go Hawks. 
Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. The show is at Hawks Playbook. And you can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.